Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born episode 101. Today's guest is Jamie Cochran. Jamie Cochran is the Chief Operating Officer at Echelon Front. Echelon Front is the leadership consultancy created by ex-Navy SEALs Jocko Wellink and Leif Babin based on the principles of their best-selling book, Extreme Ownership. Jamie and I discuss how she became Echelon Front's very first employee, all the way to becoming named the Chief Operating Officer that oversees all aspects of Echelon Front's events throughout the country. Jamie tells us what it's like to be on stage with ex-Navy SEALs, Jocko Wellink and Leif Babin, discussing the principles of leadership they learned in combat. We discuss women in leadership and the unique challenges women face leading in today's marketplace. Jamie tells us why leadership is the solution to all our problems. We also get into Jamie's jiu-jitsu journey and the leadership lessons she's learned on the mat that she brings out into the world. We also discuss how she makes all of this happen while still being a mom to three kids. It was such an honor to get Jamie on the show She is a force of nature, so smart, full of positive energy. It is a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, please hit that follow button, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Jamie Cochran, Chief Operating Officer at Echelon Front. And remember, life is built, not born. Jamie Cochran, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to have you. Jamie, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Great question. I always hate talking about myself, right? I come on these podcasts. In my opinion, it doesn't matter who I am. That means nothing. It's more about the content that we teach. But for the sake of introduction, I work at a company called Echelon Front. I'm the chief operating officer there. I've been a part of the organization for nine years. Uh, And prior to that, I just, I had a normal life growing up. And I landed in this opportunity at Echelon Front really through half and chance, some interesting timing. And it's been just an incredible journey, nine years working at Echelon Front, seeing the company grow, and then the work that we get to do on on site with our clients, teaching leadership, learning leadership. It's just an incredible opportunity that I somehow stumbled upon. (laughs) That is awesome. I would like to get into your journey from working at an academic institution, now on stage teaching leadership concepts with Navy SEALs like Jocko Wellink and Leif Babin. In a few short years, you went from an administrative position to the chief operating officer. We could talk about your journey. I love to talk about women in leadership. Also, I love to talk about what you have going on at your academy online. I love the applying leadership to your everyday life, especially your family. Maybe we could touch on that. And if we have an extra minute or two, maybe a little jujitsu about your journey in jujitsu, understand your, tra- your training yourself. And I'd love to see what life lessons you took from the mat, if that's okay with you. Love it. All right, let's rock and roll. Before we do that, let's start back all the way from the beginning. Jamie, where did you grow up? 
So I was actually born in Utah, but I grew up in Seattle, about 20 miles south of Seattle. Everyone who grows up around there, they don't, they just say Seattle because that's what people knew. But I grew up in a small city called Kent. Take us to maybe say 18. If someone asked the 18-year-old version of Jamie Cochran what she wanted to be when she grew up, what do you think she would have said? 18-year-old Jamie Cochran did not know exactly what she wanted to be when she grew up. And I think that's probably true for a lot of 18-year-olds. At the time, I was a musician and I loved music. I loved writing. I loved performing. I loved singing. And so I had decided at 18 to go to college as a music major. And after about a year of taking classes at the university, I moved to Los Angeles, went to school there. I realized that as much as I loved music, the degree was setting me up really just to teach music in a formal capacity and that I could always have music as a part of a hobby or something that I loved without a degree in that. So I adjusted pretty quickly and found myself down the marketing and communications pathway and really found a love for just telling a story and all the different aspects of projects you get to have your hand in when it comes to marketing and communication. So I made a pivot But I think even 22-year-old, 25-year-old, 28-year-old Jamie wasn't exactly sure what she wanted to be. But we've made a path for myself, for sure. Let's fast forward a little bit here. How does someone who wants to study music and can sing and work in an academic institution, how do you find yourself on stage with Jocko Welling, Leif Babin, talking about leadership rules learned in combat? How's that happen? Take us on that journey. Oh, man, Uh, that was an interesting journey. So and let me be clear, when I started Eshel and Brunt, never in my wildest dreams would I have envisioned that I would be where I'm at today doing what I get to do today. I started in my first major career, I guess, was in higher education. I was working at San Diego State University. And I got an amazing opportunity there to work with young up-and-coming leaders. I really started to recognize that I had a passion for event planning and operations support processes, procedures. But I also got these incredible opportunities at SDSU of leading. It was my first time out of college where I now had not only a staff of people that I had to leave, but a student board of 60 student leaders. And so I got this really unique opportunity to be surrounded by passionate, enthusiastic students. And I got an opportunity to guide and direct them as their advisor. And it gave me a lot of lessons learned. And so I I really started cultivating a passion for leadership around that time. And then my husband, who served at SEAL Team One with Leif Babin, I got to know Leif a little bit through some happen chance and kind of meetings here and there. We worked on an event together. So I got to work with him a little bit there in San Diego. And it was a couple of years later, actually, we left. My husband got out of the military. He was going to business school. And Leif came out to Boston and was really coming to talk to Flynn, my husband, about joining Echelon Front and telling him about the book that they were writing and the company that they were building. And it was that night that I just threw it out there. I sent Leif an email and said, hey, I really was inspired by what you guys are doing. I'm looking for my next mission. I don't know what kind of support you might need, but if you ever need someone, I'm standing by and I'm kind of up for anything. And I just threw my hat in the ring. And that led to an opportunity with them a couple months later to join in really a part-time administrative support capacity with no real promise as to what that would someday be. So how we got here is a series of a bunch of different things that happened and the opportunity that I was given right out the gate. And what I decided very early on was that I was going to give and try to provide as much value as I possibly could 
And if that led to something, then awesome. And if it didn't, then that was going to be okay too. I could always go back and pivot in my career opportunities. And about a year after I joined, the book came out. And shortly after that book came out, I was full-time in the game, starting to build a team. So it's been an incredible journey. I'll get to the book in a moment. But one of the things I learned, like just doing some research and hearing you tell your story on all the great content on the online academy, you had an experiment mindset. You basically gave yourself one year and you reassessed. I'm going to try this. I'm going to experiment. Are you familiar with Tim Ferriss, the podcaster Tim Ferriss? Yeah. I think that's how I found out about Jocko way back in the day. I think he was on the Ferriss show. That was his first big podcast. Was it really? Tim that's Ferriss I, is great. Okay. Yeah. That's when yeah. I first heard of him. Tim has an experiment mindset. Tim always talks about, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to try a podcast. I'll do it for 10 episodes. And it's not forever. Just to see how it goes. And I'm going to reassess. And that's kind of what you did with Echelon Front, right? You just kind of jumped in and just said, gave it a year and yeah. see what it's like. Yeah. What's interesting is that, so I had three kids at that time. My youngest was fairly small. She wasn't even a year when I started with Echelon Front. And I had this very incredible opportunity at San Diego State. And now I was taking on this option at Echelon Front, which was part-time, you know, pretty far back in my career progress at San Diego State. I had a staff, I had a team of people. Now I'm working for hourly part-time pay. And it was a couple steps back. But what I realized is that I love the mission that Leif and Jocko were looking to achieve. And as I got to know them, even early on, before I really had these strong relationships, I recognized that they were sincere and authentic. And that meant so much to me. And what they offered me Maybe it wasn't the title, maybe it wasn't the team and the staff or the pay. What they offered me was a lot of autonomy and the ability to add value. And so I gave my myself a time limit because I had three kids that I had to put in daycare. I'm paying full-time childcare for part-time work. Those things don't add up. So I basically made myself a commitment. I'm going to do this for a year and then I will reassess. And I can always go back to higher education. I can go somewhere else. I can find the next mission. But I'm going to really go all in for one year and see what comes of this. So that daycare is no joke. I have three kids myself <laughs> and all of them through daycare. And at some point, two of them were in at the same time. And it was like you're paying for college. You have two daycare bills. It's like someone's in college and your cash flow in college, yeah. right? Like it's crazy. Significant. Oh my God. <laughs> crazy. So let's go. Let's go big picture and we'll dial in leadership. It's so much of what Echelon Front talks about, Jocko and Leif, and what you do on stage is leadership. What is your definition of leadership? My definition of a leader is any human being who interacts with other human beings. What I think about leadership is that leadership is truly how we solve every single problem or challenge we face in our life, business, or in our personal lives. It's leadership that can guide us to solving those problems and challenges. One of the main takeaways I learned through the years of this book here, The Field Manual and Extreme Ownership, is you don't have to have the title to lead. Everyone in the organization has a leadership responsibility and is a leader or should be a leader. Take it from there. A hundred percent. So we have what we call our core beliefs at Echelon Front. And I think this captures what we believe as it relates to leadership. And in my years of service at Echelon Front, I have seen this play out time and time again. The first belief is leadership at every level. So too many people feel like, oh, I'm not a traditional leader of people. I don't hold a leadership title or I'm not a manager of people in my organization. And we like to dispel that right out the gate. When we talk about leadership, we're not only talking about the CEO at the highest level in an organization, 
We're talking about every single level within that organization down to the frontline employee who's only managing themselves and their piece of the mission. We also talk at Echelon Front, our second core belief is leadership in every capacity. So while our business is based on teaching leadership for organizations and companies, we believe that these leadership skills and principles can be applied at home with your families, in your communities, and within yourself. What are the leadership standards that you hold for yourself? And then obviously we think that leadership is a skill. We know leadership is a skill. And I think too often people think that this is something you are born with. Right out the gate, that is not true. This is absolutely something that people can learn. They can practice. They can get better at. They can improve upon. And there are skills, just like any other skill that we teach, leadership is a skill that you can learn. And then the last thing we believe at Echelon Front, and I kind of hinted at this, is that leadership is the solution to every single problem that you face. So our our beliefs on leadership is that this is for everyone in every capacity. Yeah. And you mentioned leaders, are they born or made? I mean, they're made. I mean, they're absolutely made. It's it's like the jujitsu. It's like jujitsu. It's like sales. Like you're not a natural born anything. You might have a, you might have some talent that you could develop if you worked hard at it. Maybe a natural inclination that, wow, I enjoy doing this, but I still have to put the work in. Leaders are made, right? What do you see with all the work you guys do? Absolutely. There are people are born with attributes that might you know, help them become a better leader. People are sometimes are born with just the natural ability to communicate effectively. Some people have that natural ability to just get along with everyone. Some people have that natural ability to persuade people, to convince them or influence them in certain ways. And those skills can certainly help you in becoming a stronger leader. But I have seen this over and over and over again. People that don't have necessarily those natural abilities can take these principles, apply them, and be effective leaders in every capacity that they're trying to be, whether it's leading their children, leading their spouse, leading themselves, leading their organization, their team members. My favorite part of what we teach is we have this saying of up and down the chain of command. And I think a lot of people think of leadership as top down. Mm -hmm. And I see this play out all the time where you can be in a position and you can lead up the chain of command. And that sometimes is the most effective leadership we have to implement. So leadership is universal and everyone has the ability to get better at it and apply these principles to be effective in solving their problems and challenges. Thanks for sharing that. Let me bring up a couple that I really connect with. And it's some of the core tenets from extreme ownership. You hear that, A, that it's applicable to your family. It's applicable to your work. It's applicable to the battlefield, wherever you are. First one, I just love cover and move, right? <laughs> to me, I love that. To me, that means teamwork, relationships, right? 100%. I got your back. You got mine. It might be a life and death situation, or it just might be at your house. Your wife works that day and, hey, I got the wash. Right. You worked all day. Listen, I got dinner. Or like we got each other's back or you move, I'll cover you. Could you fill in the gaps? What would you add to that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Cover and move. It's fundamentally a gunfighting tactic, but I have never been in a gunfight. So uh, what this really is in our daily life, it's teamwork. It's working together to accomplish the mission. And the way that we do that is we prioritize building and maintaining strong relationships. And in truth, this is something people do not spend their time doing because it takes time to develop a relationship with someone. And when we talk about a relationship, this isn't just, oh, I like this person. They come over to my house on the weekends and have barbecues, right? I know their kids and I understand what they're doing. This is, you can have a relationship with someone you don't like. 
it's prioritizing and recognizing that, hey, we are one team. And if any one person on the team fails, the entire team fails. That puts everyone at risk. So it's setting aside your own needs and your own, you know, the things that you need to get done. And you're looking for ways to support and encourage the people around you so that the team can win. And so Cover Move is all about building relationships. We do that through reciprocal trust, listening, influencing, and respect. And and when we do those things and we prioritize relationships, it's incredible what we can get done together as a team. I also think like gratitude comes in there, not taking people for granted. Like there's someone in, let's just say you're the boss or you're like, you're high up in the organization, right? Not the main guy or the main girl, but you're up there. And maybe the janitor, like if you got to respect that janitor, you got to take care of that janitor, make sure they're right. Because all of a sudden, like the chairs aren't out for the assembly or like like, if that janitor doesn't do his job or her job, like the whole place, like the biggest meeting of the year can maybe not go off the way it needs to because you you didn't take care of everyone on your team, right? You took someone for granted. 100%. I think gratitude is a big part in how we establish and maintain relationships. We have to show gratitude for the work that people are doing and how they're contributing to the mission. I think a lot of companies, the way we see this play out sometimes is when people are are explaining their mission or what the goal of the company is, part of doing that effectively is helping everyone on that team understand not just what the broader mission is for the organization. Hey, we're going to make a lot of money and make our shareholders happy. It's the broader mission and how it applies to them. What are we doing to support them in their endeavors and their efforts? How are we how are we mentoring them? How are we helping them grow? A big part of that is the way we show our gratitude is the way that we lead people, the way that we give them ownership, give them autonomy, give them freedom to help them solve those problems. That's more of what people want even more so than the financial component in a job, it's that ability to feel connected to the mission. And that's a big part of building relationships and helping people feel tied to the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. You can connect to the mission. Like that's like the culture, I guess. Like you build a culture where everyone cares and everyone has each other's back. It's hard to lose. It's not saying you're never going to lose, but man, you're going to do so much good when you're connected and you care about each other and you have each other's back. You don't take anyone for granted. You're building relationships. Like that's just a place, no matter if you're owning a restaurant, your family, or you're out on the battlefield, that's something where that culture is, that's a winning culture that's going to be highly successful. A hundred percent. And unfortunately, too many people don't recognize that. They don't recognize the value that having strong relationships and the, the ability to solve problems in a much more timely and efficient manner when you have those strong relationships up, down, and across the chain of command. Yeah. How about moving on to the next principle? And I get pushed back for this. I try to lead my team. I lead a sales team with this. Oh, I'll let, throw it out there. Simple. I try to keep everything so simple. I'm a big Jim Collins fan. who wrote Good to Great. His research shows if you have more than three priorities, you have none. If you're everywhere, you're nowhere. We always try to focus on one, two, maybe three priorities and own them. What do you get out of the simple principle and leadership that you teach? Yeah, there's a couple of ways that simple comes out to play. One is the mission. The mission for your organization, for your team has to be simple, clear, concise. It has to be something that everyone understands. Where are we trying to go? What is the end state and the goal? The next thing that we have to do once we have that clear, simple, concise mission, we have to create plans and processes that are simple, clear, and concise so we can execute towards that mission. And then the last most critical part of any leadership endeavor is being able to communicate effectively, communicate in what we call the simple, clear, and concise manner. And our test 
the reason why simple is so critical is that this is really a test on our communication, not whether or not they understand us and they're going and executing. It's are we communicating in a simple, clear, and concise manner? And sometimes that means we need to adjust the way we're communicating based on who we're communicating with. So the, the simple component is really a test for us. We have a really cool tool that we utilize for this called the Readback. And I have found this to be an awesome practical way for companies and organizations and teams to ensure alignment and ensure that there's clear, simple communication. And the way that works is I might say, hey, Joe, you know, I'm going to put out some information. And at the end, I want to get a readback from you. And there's two ways people can do this. The first way is because I want to make sure you understood what I said. That way isn't going to work. It's not going to be effective. The small twist in the way that we say this is, hey, I want to get a readback so that I can make sure... I communicated effectively and I didn't miss anything important. And when I put that on me and I show them that this is a test for me, if they can give me a readback and we're aligned, I can say, go execute, run with it. But too often what happens is leaders put out information and they say, do we have any questions? They don't get any questions. And they just think, okay, cool. I communicated so well. My team knows what's going on. They have no questions. And as you know, people run off in the wrong direction, they waste a bunch of time, and the leader gets frustrated. Hey, they didn't do what I told them to do. And this readback can really be a simple tool to make sure we're communicating effectively. The readback, that's probably one of the tactics I stole from the book that I've been using with the material that you teach, where someone above me will give me some orders or some ideas to do with my squad. And I'll say, all right, when I leave here, I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing, right? Am I missing anything? One of the people I worked for in the past, they're like, you're the only one I know that after I tell them what to do, the readback stood out. Like it, it's so effective because it's so direct. Like, all right, Jamie, when I leave, I'm going to do one, two, and three, right? Anything else? Am I missing anything? No. Then if I go and do one, two, and three, there's no way we can't be on the same page, right? If you tell me to do something, I clarify it. You agree that that's the mission. Then we go execute. It's hard to go off track there, right? 100%. Chris Voss never split the difference. He was a big time negotiator. And that's one of the tactics he used. He calls it mirroring. It's the same thing. You're just mirroring back the information and that creates that sense of alignment. And I'll I'll tell you kind of a a funny little story, a time where I didn't use the readback and it cost me. I've got got a nine-year-old daughter and I said, hey, Charlie, can you go load the dishwasher? And she was like, yep. And she ran off to do the job. And an hour later, I see that the sink is full of dishes. And I'm like, hey, I thought I asked you to load this. She's like, I did. And I realized she said, you said, unload the dishwasher. So she's now taking dirty dishes from the dishwasher all throughout my kitchen and various cabinets and drawers. And I realized, hey, this is my fault. I didn't communicate effectively. There's a chance I actually did say unload. But even if I didn't say that, I didn't ask her for a readback. And that's something we use in our family regularly. It's something I use with my team. I'm very familiar with the readback. And that quick double check, it is so simple and so short that quick double check ensures that alignment and no one's running off doing things that they shouldn't be doing and wasting time. So you're right. It's a very effective tool. And that's a paper plate, <laughs> not any paper plate for Let's just uh, say we had fun finding all the dirty, clo- dirty dishes. I don't think we got them all, but w- we survived. <laughs> that's awesome. Another one, I, I think it's so spot on. I love this one. Prioritize, execute, right? Being in the middle management, being like a parent, there's so much coming at you from your kids' sports schedules to stuff at work to with times jujitsu tonight to whatever. And you have all this. And you're like, there's 27 things I can do today. Maybe, maybe I can get four done of these 27 in a good day. And I got to figure out what's one, two, three. And that prioritization is so big. 
Take it from there. But you can prioritize. You could be working really hard on the wrong things and get nothing done. 100%. Yeah. The big thing with prioritize and execute is that this is something everyone is facing. No one is waking up in their morning and thinking like, well, I have nothing to do today. Everyone's got this list and these weighing priorities that they have to manage. And oftentimes our plates are overwhelming. Uh, We're also balancing multiple plates. To your point, you've got home life, you've got work life, you've got your own personal endeavors, and you've got to constantly be juggling through those things. A lot of that, you know, comes down to balance and how do you balance those things? Nothing's ever perfectly balanced. But the real key to being able to prioritize and execute the tool that we teach is learning how to detach, detaching from our emotions. It's only when we are detached from our emotions we can take the right view and see the truth of what actually needs to get done and what of these things is going to have the biggest impact on the broader mission. We are not teaching people to be unemotional. I think emotions are are certainly a critical part to understanding what is a priority, but we don't get to see the truth if we're caught up in the emotional side of it. Too often, what happens is we start to feel overwhelmed and we start to get emotional. We start to get frustrated. And those emotions cloud our vision of like, okay, what is it that I need to get done right now and focus on executing? So we have to get really good at recognizing those red flags, those things that tell us, hey, I'm starting to feel emotional in this particular instance. Let me take a step back. Maybe that's taking a breath, taking a step back. Maybe it's physically detaching, going for a walk, you know, hiding in the closet for 10 minutes, whatever you need. And then coming back to the problem with fresh eyes and no emotion to be able to say, okay, this right here is going to have the biggest impact on the mission of what I'm trying to accomplish. And sometimes you might have a big project and maybe 12 other quick things that you need to get done. Sometimes it's more effective to go knock out those smaller things and get them off your plate and off your mind so that you can focus more on the big project. But we can't understand that or see it properly if we're not detached first. Yeah. And that detached, get off the line. I think that's written that Jocko writes a lot about like just getting off the line. And the one thing I heard, I stole from you guys and I use it all the time when it's really crazy. I think it's called RLM, like relax, look around, make a call, right? Like, like, like literally you step back off of like the chaos and it doesn't have to be a hundred yards. Like you could just take a couple steps back and just kind of see like the chessboard a little bit more than you being in the middle. And like, you just look around like, all right, I'm going to make a new call. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I have a good example of this. I love this saying, relax, look around, make a call. This could be a mantra you tell yourself. And here's the real trick to being good at detaching. Look for every opportunity in your day to detach. I am looking for every moment of like, okay, I'm feeling frustrated because my 14-year-old just knows the right button to push and he's hitting it. I'm going to detach. I'm going to separate myself from this position. Because the better we get at detaching in the small, insignificant ways, the more equipped we're going to be to detach when the time comes where we have big problems we need to solve. And nothing was more evident to me than an example that I had two years ago. My husband, who was a Navy SEAL and did all these crazy stuff, never got hurt, never got injured. And yet we were moving and he was carrying a mirror and he stepped off the back of the truck and this mirror shattered and a large piece of the mirror went through his wrist. So we're now in a chaotic environment. There is blood everywhere, mirror shattered. I've got kids crying. And my husband, who is trained to detach, who understands this very well, very calmly said, this is bad. His calmness bred my calmness. And because I've been practicing and teaching this ability to detach, I was able to take a breath, relax, look around, and I made a call. We needed to get a tourniquet. Then, you know, you start to feel that pressure again, relax, look around, make a call. We got to get you in the car. The ambulance is not going to get here in time. 
relax, look around, make a call. We made another decision on the way to the call. I left my kids and called my dad to go get them. And all these things are happening at once. And it was only through my ability to detach and his initial response in being so calm and detached that we were able to get him to a place as opposed to being minutes away from likely leading out in our driveway. So in those moments, we have to practice every single day so that when the big things happen, we are capable to take a step back and relax and look around and make a call. And only when we do that, can we recognize, okay, here's what I need to do right now to solve this problem. So we got to practice. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. Wow. And I forget who said this, but I think this thing is appropriate when he cut his wrist. I love this quote, calm is contagious. So like he's calm, that makes you calm. And then you all of a sudden your ability to take a step back, detach, make a call, like that calm is contagious. You all rubbed off on each other. Amazing. And you can use that the other way. Chaos is contagious. Yeah. We've also used the phrase calm breeds calm. Chaos breeds ca- chaos. Mm-hmm. If you are amped up and chaotic and crazy and frustrated and losing grip of your emotions, you will breed that in the people around you. But if you can speak calmly, you can relax, you can look around, you can make a call, that is also going to be contagious with your team. And people are going to respond in the same way that you're putting that out there. So it's very important that we're not just detaching for ourselves, but that we're detaching for our team. That's a critical part of being a leader, setting the example. That's what I want to cover on the principles, the centralized command. And this is the one- Decentralized command. What's that? Decentralized command. I zoned out. No, no. Decentralized command. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think this is where I think ego comes into play a lot, where if you have a leader with big ego, guy, girl, whoever it is, and they're just like, I'm in control, I'm the charge, like very micro, they, it's, why do you think it's so hard for some people to let go and let decisions be made at like the second, third, fourth level down, even on the street level, right? Like you want, we want leaders on every level. And we need that decentralized command, right? And can you speak about that, what decentralized command is and why it's so important? Yeah, decentralized command is simply the idea that everyone leads. And in order to implement this effectively, we have to empower the people around us to step up and lead and make decisions. And in order to do that, we have to give them a lot of ownership in how the plans and things that we're putting in place get executed. The hardest part for leaders in implementing decentralized command, and you bring up a very good point when it comes to ego, is that oftentimes if we're a leader in a position or we've been at an organization for a long time, we want, first of all, we know how to solve the problem probably more effectively than other people. So it's our instinct sometimes to step in and solve that and take away their opportunity to come up with their own solutions. And then sometimes we get into the place of that's how people feel valued. You know, sometimes it's a little bit more of an insecurity than it is I know all. It's it's more so that if I let go of this, what am I now expected to do? I have seen this in myself. We run this big event called the Muster. And the first Muster, it was me and like a very small group of people running that entire event. And I was a part of every single aspect in detail. And the further out that we've become, the less involved I am. And if anything, I kind of get in my team's way and they're managing everything. And so I had to learn over time to let go. And that's a hard thing as a leader to say, okay, the best thing I can do for the team is to actually let go of this because they want to step up. They want to provide value. They want to take on that responsibility. They want to solve problems. The best thing I can do for them is instill my trust that they can do that and empower them to run that. And then take ownership if something goes wrong. I can still step in as a leader and say, hey, this is on me. I should have provided better resources or training for you. 
But ultimately, the hardest part is letting go. But once you do that, you start to see that instead of just not having anything to do, I can now be much more up and out. I can do other things to better support the team. I can take on and think more strategically than I was able to before when I was so wrapped up in the details and the tactics. So it's a difficult thing to do for leaders. It is the absolute best thing we can do for our team is to empower them to lead and make decisions and contribute to that ultimate goal, that ultimate mission accomplishment. I want to touch on extreme ownership in a second, just that concept of you own the outcome as the leader. To me, one of the definitions of leaders is they create other leaders. Like it's just not them, right? It's so hard to create other leaders if you don't have that decentralized command. Like if you're, if all the decisions are made from the top down, like that old 1950s style management where it's just top down and they're telling you what to do. It's very like industrialized, right? That's how you create other leaders, right? You give them authority. You let them manage their little subgroup, what they got going on. And then they, maybe they do the readback, make sure you're on the same page and you go, go get it, go execute. And then there's a whole nother group of leaders coming up through the chain, right? Yeah. You are doing your team a disservice if you are not putting them in a position to lead. If you are not giving them those opportunities to solve those problems, to come up with solutions, to come up with plans and then go execute on those plans, you are not creating a team that can function without you. So if you're out of the office on a vacation or you're on an airplane and you can't get, they can't get a hold of you, whatever it might be, or you move to another organization, you're putting your team in a bad position if they don't have any opportunities leading into those situations where they've been given that chance to step up and lead and solve problems. So whenever I find myself getting a little bit more into the weeds, I remember, hey, if I care about my people, I care about my team, I need to let this go. I need to give them the chance to come up with a solution here. And my job is to simply support them and look for ways to take ownership when the team fails. So when it comes to the successes, the team gets the credit and they get to run it. And when it comes to the failures and the mistakes, it's my job as a leader to step in at that point and take that on and, and help them solve that. There's one story I heard, I think it was in Admiral McRaven's book that just came out, the Bullfrog book. He mentioned that there was some legendary SEALs retirement party somewhere, maybe in Hawaii, and he was given a speech and the microphone was too far and he might've been disabled. And he, and that no one could hear. And they're like, what should we do? And there was a seal way in the back, like the least guy in charge ran up in front of 40 people and just adjusted the microphone right there. And then I think McRaven thanked him. And he's just like, well, I thought no one else was doing it. So I thought it was up to me. He didn't have the title, but he was the leader at that time. I thought that was really cool. I actually hired someone once at San Diego State University. We did this group interview and outside we were out in this, wherever location we was, there was a door kind of down the hallway that was open and they were doing yard work and it started mid interview and it was about six minutes in and everyone kind of noticed it was a little loud. And this one kid, and I'll say kid, even though he was a young adult, he was 18. He got up and he walked out in the middle of the interview to go shut the door. And I remember thinking like, you know what? It was such a simple thing, but the fact that he was default aggressive and he went and solved the problem, like indicated to me, like, okay, there's something there. And I actually hired him massively based on that one example uh, to me that like, Hey, this, this guy's going to be someone who's going to figure it out and see there's a gap. Let me go fill it. That's all you needed to know. Yeah. You saw that. I told you it's like microcosm. That's all you need to know about that person. That's so so cool. That's one thing you mentioned extreme ownership. Here's one thing that like, it took me a while to figure out. Just say you do the read back and you're simple, you cover move, you prioritize, execute, decentralized command, you have all this going on, but still things go wrong. 
right? And say it happens four levels down, like a cashier does something wrong with a customer and you're the CEO of the company. That extreme ownership, taking ownership of what went wrong, even though it was like levels below you. Can you speak to why that's important and why that's the right thing to do? Yeah. So my whole brief at the muster, when I go talk at these events, it's literally titled the barriers to extreme ownership. And the reason it was created is because to your point, people understand the general concept of ownership and they say, okay, I get it. Extreme ownership. I'm going to take ownership of everything in my world, everything that impacts the mission. I'm going to take ownership of that. But the actual application is much more difficult. This is very simple, but it is not easy. And so the challenge for people was that they'd, they'd start off on the path of ownership and they'd hit these barriers um, that would prevent them from taking ownership in a meaningful and effective way. And one of those barriers is the exact scenario that you are playing out. What if it's truly not my fault? And I remember talking to Jocko about this once and I was prepping for this brief and I posted this question because I was like, hey, if you hit this barrier, the first thing you should do is take a step back. That detachment is critical. And then you should ask yourself this question. And the question I posed was, how can I make this my fault? And when I first asked the question, Jocko didn't really like it. His feedback was like, I don't know, because you're kind of giving people this out of like, listen, it's not really your fault, but how can you make it your fault? And he didn't like the little bit of an out. But as we talked about it more, he realized that for a lot of people starting out on this journey of ownership, that is where you're starting. It's asking that question, how can I make this my fault? Or how can I take ownership of this? And what you have to do in those situations is ask yourself that question earnestly in a detached perspective, detached from your emotions, detached from your ego, which is telling you, you know, and can trying to convince you that this isn't your fault. Take a step back from all of that and just brainstorm, just pull the thread on that a little bit. And if you pull the thread long enough, it always lands back to you. Mm-hmm. As the chief operating officer at Echelon Front, if someone on our front lines does something and it impacts our mission, that is my fault. There is something along that path that I could have done to help prevent this from happening. Or the step of ownership that I might take is I am now going to take ownership in solving this and ensuring that we put a process in place to prevent this problem from happening again. So when you feel yourself hit that barrier, we just have to be honest with ourselves. There is always something we could have done or should be doing to help in solving this problem. And I think just to give a quick example, we were at an event. I was with Carlos, another instructor of ours, and I had a guy in the front row. His name was Jeff, and he raised his hand kind of mid-presentation. It was a little bit of an awkward timing, and he was just like, hey, you know, this is all great and stuff, but I just don't think this works. There's things in my life where my team just needs to go do the thing that I'm asking them to do, and if they don't do it, that's not on me. And I was like, okay, Jeff, let's go with this. And so I asked him to give a specific scenario and he mapped out the scenario. Everyone around the room, you can kind of see them all going, yeah, you know what? That's actually a good point. And so I said, listen, we're going to take two minutes and I just want to brainstorm as a group. How can Jeff take ownership of this problem? And it was quiet. And then one person raised their hand and another person raised their hand. And in two minutes, we had 27 different ways Jeff could take ownership of this problem. Now, some of those were outlandish and never going to work. Some of those are really good ideas, but would mean a whole overhaul and maybe isn't super reasonable. But there was about five or six immediate things Jeff could do to help and solve that problem and ensure that it didn't happen again. And it was just a testament that when we feel this barrier of this isn't really my fault, if we truly take a step back, if we put our ego in a freaking box, 
we can actually figure out a way to take ownership of the situation and ownership of how we respond and solve the problem. Yeah, that's so good. Two things I found when this is probably the concept I probably picked up the last like cover move I got simple. I got right away, like that extreme ownership in every situation. If I drop the ball in the end zone, like that's my fault. But like, maybe if I was the one designing the play and the guy was wide open and dropped it a couple of years ago, I was not inclined to say that was my fault. But I found that when you take ownership of the outcome, at least of your attitude, or at least of how, of what went down, if you take ownership, it is so disarming. If you go to someone like, you know what, we, I didn't put my people in the right position. I didn't do the training. I got to up the training. I got to do this better. I got to organize better. I got to make sure we're on the same plan. That is so disarming. And then on the other side, if you go blame other people, you lose respect. How quick does respect leave the leader? The leader loses respect when they don't own the outcome. Is that fair to say? 100%. That's actually the first barrier that I teach. That's one of the barriers is, hey, some people don't take ownership because they fear that they'll lose respect by taking ownership. Because I think we have this mindset that leaders don't make mistakes. And it makes you look weak as a leader if you step up and say, hey, I made a mistake. This is my fault. But the reality is, is that fear is completely unfounded. And I have seen this time and time again. If I give you two options of people to work with, and one person casts blame, makes excuses, points fingers, or maybe just doesn't even contribute to the conversation, they avert their eyes in the meeting and they try to just go under the radar, as opposed to someone who steps up and says, hey, guys, listen, this is my fault. This is how I contributed to this problem. This is how I'm going to solve it and make sure this never happens again. Anyone listening to those two options would so much rather work with the person that's taking ownership. That respect goes through the roof, that ability to influence people and to your point, disarm them where people go, oh, they just took ownership of that. Okay, wait, there's a little bit of our ego that starts to want to take ownership too. And we go, well, wait a minute, you don't get all their ownership in this. And now we start to actually solve this problem. So I think too often it's just in our mind, we think that taking ownership makes us look weak. But what makes us look weak is pointing fingers and casting blame and making excuses. And unfortunately, we are not born with this natural ability to take ownership. It is not part of our human tendencies. So we're constantly fighting against that human tendency, that ego that is trying to convince us that we are right and this is not our fault. And we have to set those aside. And when we do it, ownership is liberating. It gives us all the control we need to solve the problems that we're facing. It is an unbelievable gift if we can get it right and we can set that ego aside and see the truth of the situation, which is, in fact, this is our fault and this we need to take ownership of this. And you just be able to own at least the outcome, like you own the outcome, you own the next steps, you own that you own that problem and you're there to fix it. And that just builds so much respect and it just builds the culture. That's just all the money. I appreciate you sharing that. Before we move on, I know you do a lot of work with women in leadership. What are some of the unique challenges you see in today's modern workplace with women in leadership? What are some of the struggles or obstacles that the average woman has in leadership? I think women are incredible leaders. I think they have these natural abilities that it gives them an upper hand in leadership. I think we're better at managing multiple plates of responsibilities. I think we're better at communicate and oftentimes I think we're better at understanding perspectives and getting feedback. I think the biggest challenge that women are facing are their own barriers that they put in their way. It's women are handling so much. I'm a mom. I have three kids. 
I run a household. My husband was deployed many times. And so I ran the home front while he was gone. He still travels now for work. And I think women constantly have these overwhelming plates of responsibility and it's difficult and challenging. And I think the biggest thing getting in our way of taking these natural leadership abilities that we have are the barriers that we put on ourselves. And I think if women can recognize that they are needed in the workforce, they are needed at home, and that truly what they are doing in any capacity in business and in life is leadership, when they recognize that, they can take these principles and they can solve any problem that they're dealing with. And they can own everything. This idea that can women have it all? Yes, absolutely. They can have it all if that's what they want. But that requires ownership of everything as well. Yeah, well said. I have been lucky to work with a bunch of amazing leaders through my career. I think some of the best I've worked for were women. There were some women gave me some of the biggest breaks I've ever had in my career, and they were some of the best leaders, and I've learned so much. So I agree. They just see things. They, they, there's an intuition. I know the one I'm thinking of that I work for. There's an intuition they have that I didn't see in the average leader I work for, where they kind of feel things out. They kind of see things. Great stuff. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I want to switch gears here real quick to a part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets. So our guests get to know you a little bit more as a person. Jamie, you got so much going on. You got three kids. You're the chief operating officer of Echelon Front. You have all these events all over the country you run. When you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? Hike or jujitsu? Hike, awesome, let's go. So hike, where do you like to hike? So I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. The, it's absolutely incredible and beautiful out there. So I spent, we lived there for six years when my kids were little, up until about three years ago when we moved to Virginia Beach. But the mountains up there are absolutely stunning. My favorite thing to do is just meet up with a friend and go on a, a trail hike. I love backpacking. I've been doing that the past couple of years with a group of women, which is very special to go out and just, you're responsible for only yourself and all this stuff and this gear and you have to manage that. So I love that. It's the best place to detach, in my opinion. Here in Virginia Beach, we're a little more limited. So I might go for longer walks. There's a couple trails, not quite as beautiful as Washington, but yeah. still pretty awesome. Let's talk jujitsu. Definitely common interest <laughs> we both have. Tell us about your jujitsu journey and what do you got going on with jujitsu? Yeah, I highly recommend jujitsu for every single person on the planet. It is just an incredible opportunity to practice humility, practice checking your ego. For me, it's the only time where my brain stops thinking. I can actually get a moment, a break of all the things going on because I'm only worried about what's happening in that moment. Am I going to get choked? Do they have my arm? What are they doing? I love it because it's so physically and emotionally draining and exhausting, but I love that. Like, I love that sense of it. I started a couple of years ago with a women's group only, and I just started training with women, fell in love with it and started picking up training. And now my journey is going to be very long. My journey to black belt is like a hundred years because I, I go hard for like a month and then I'm out for two months and I kind of have yeah. to manage that. So I'm constantly trying to find that balance. I don't get to train as often as I would like to, but I absolutely love it. The confidence it cultivates, especially in women, I think is really special. And you get so many opportunities to check that ego and keep oh. that ego in check. <laughs> Our academy has a sign that says, please leave your ego and shoes at the door. Enter with the beginner's mind. There's nothing that gives you that present moment focus like jujitsu because you're on the ground, the mat. Everyone's 60 pounds heavier than me. And now they're 10 years, 15 years younger. 
And like, you can't think of anything, but like, up, oh, they're going for the north south. Up, oh, they're going for, they got side control. Wait, they're going for my feet. Like you have all these things going through your head. You can't not think about exactly what's in front of you. It's so liberating and mind clearing, right? And like when you, you drive home, like after, you know, you, maybe with the class is 45 minutes long and we do 20 minutes of rolling. We're there for about an hour and a half and we go home and like your, your mind is so clear, isn't it? It's just so, it's just so zen. You're just, you're too exhausted to think about anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have done CrossFit and marathons and like Tough Mudders. Like I've done hard training. Nothing, nothing is more exhausting in every capacity, physically, mentally, and emotionally than jujitsu. But that's what I love about it. Because it, it the there's also like this adrenaline kick that comes later. Like you drive home, you're exhausted, you're, you know, a total wreck and mess. And then- there's that moment of clarity that I get like an hour after when everything settles. And I just, it, there's nothing that enables me to attach more than going to jujitsu and trying to piece together what we're doing in the move and what's happening in this moment. It's, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible leadership opportunity as well. I learned so many lessons in jujitsu that apply, or I can see the principles we teach that play out in jujitsu. It's just, it's an incredible leadership opportunity. I think I saw a picture online. Did you get your blue belt? I did reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> what that feel like? That's a big move. That's a big move getting the blue belt. What was that like? Yeah, I think every day I show up to that gym, I want to hand it back and say, "Can I just have the white belt back?" There was a part of me that just like I loved being the white belt warrior. Uh, and part of that is that I still feel this need. And I I kind of think our our my instructor knows this about me, I feel this need to now earn the blue belt, which is an interesting thing now that I've received it. But I have this very strong sense that I need to earn it, that whatever, you know, yes, he gave that to me, but I feel like I haven't earned it yet. And part of that is consistency for me. I love training, but I have a lot of responsibilities. And if there's one thing that ends up going off that plate of responsibilities, it's jujitsu, because that's, that's for me. And right now I've got three kids that need me and a business that needs me. And so if there's one thing I let go, it's the thing that's mine. So um, I think for me, it's that constant effort now that I have it of like, I've got to really earn this because I don't necessarily feel the sense that like I deserve it. Every belt you get, there's like a little bit of pressure. It gets heavy. Like, I don't want it. <laughs> you see your name on that list. You're like, I don't want that belt. I don't want it. But it's great. That well, belt- especially, especially as a woman, because I feel like I show up now and the white belts think that I'm like, I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't know what I'm doing. Like. <laughs> Like, it's, it's okay. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Just because I'm wearing the belt doesn't mean anything. We're starting at the same level here. So it, it's been fun, though. I really love it. My first jujitsu instructor was Steve Maxwell. He's one of the first American black belts. And I trained with him here in Philly. And uh, he said, when you got your blue belt, it means you officially belong. It's like you pledge your fraternity and you got in. So like you're in the frat or the sorority. So that's so great. Congrats on that. That's awesome. Keep rolling. Mm-hmm. How about this? Uh, we spoke about a lot over the last hour. If there's a, maybe a person out there that maybe that's somewhere in an organization that just doesn't feel like they have what it takes to lead, right? Maybe they're lacking confidence. What would you tell them? Start taking ownership. Just start looking for ways to take ownership. It's a game changer. If you want some practical things, and this is not a pitch, I mean, this is free content out there. The Academy has some free courses. One of my favorite courses is Jocko and Dave go through what we call the extreme ownership framework. And it's all about how do you take ownership in conversations in a meaningful way? So 
where if I'm having a conversation with someone and I want to take ownership and I recognize I need to take ownership, what does that sound like? And it gives you an opportunity to practice that. I'm going to understand the problem. I'm going to communicate the impact to this person or to the team. If this problem doesn't get solved, I'm going to take 100% ownership for this problem. And then I'm going to provide some solutions. And that framework right there, if you get really comfortable using that in everyday conversations, can start to help you take ownership in a real and meaningful way. And you start to see the impact in those conversations immediately. So I love that course. It's on the Extreme Ownership Academy. It's completely free. We also do what we call the rundown, which is a twice a month newsletter that's all about leadership and can give someone who maybe wants to take the next step in leadership, wants to understand their capabilities, a chance to engage with the content and the principles that we teach. They can understand more effectively how to apply these principles in solving their problems. And the rundown, it's a free podcast. It's awesome. Like Leif reads it mostly, or these last couple I listened to, Leif does it, and it's fantastic. It comes out every couple of weeks, maybe, or it comes every out. Every two weeks. We're, we're moving in the direction of trying to do that weekly. It's a newsletter. Great. You can get to read or we record it and you can just listen to it and Leif reads it. And they're short and to the point, And we're yeah. addressing the, the main questions people are asking around leadership. So the research we get on, hey, what do people want to know about leadership? What are the problems that they're facing? What are the questions they're asking? And then those articles are intended to help provide some answers to those questions. I'm going to put that in the show notes. How about this? But we spoke about a lot, Jamie, over the last hour. If you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. It has become part of our nature. It is everything in our instinct is to get us to make an excuse when things go wrong. Ownership gives us the control and the liberty to solve those problems. So when we start to make that excuse, take that step back and say, how can I make this my fault? How can I take ownership of this? How can I solve this problem and take extreme ownership in every capacity in your life? And I promise you, everything in your life will get better. Every single thing will get better. Not easier. It's difficult to take ownership, but it will get better and you will be able to solve that problem more effectively when you stop making excuses and start taking ownership. Yeah, stop making excuses, take ownership word. Last two questions. Here's a fun one. Jamie, if you could spend the day with anybody, historical figure, famous, not famous, alive or dead, who would you spend the day with? I love this question. At this point in time, if I could spend the day with anyone, it would be my father-in-law, who was a pillar of leadership and an example to me and passed a few years. And I wish I could just spend more one more day with him learning from him. That is awesome. Your father-in-law. That's awesome. Last question, Jamie Cochran. If you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? Leadership is the solution. Leadership is the solution. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to wrap this up. Jamie Cochran, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Honor to speak with you. Just love the work you're doing. If people are looking for you, Jamie, and Echelon Front and all the great work you do online, where can we find you? 
echelonfront.com, extremeownership.com. You can check out all the things we're doing at Echelon Front. We have a lot of free stuff on the academy. We've got some other really cool courses. We do a lot of consulting and on-site work with clients that are more intended for organizations and teams. And then for the women out there, we run a free monthly women's assembly. They can join free and join us for that live virtual session where we talk about these principles as it relates to women in leadership. So we're, we're all over. Just check out echelonfront.com. I'm going to put all of them in the show notes. Jamie Cochran, thank you for joining us. So awesome to see you and keep rocking. You're doing amazing work. Thank you so much, Joe. Really appreciate the time. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.